Hey, Uncle Weed, why don't you break out some of that private stash? We listen in to a show with Uncle Weed, with Nick Bay, nice guy. We come around, entertain, we make everything nice. We drink and overproof rum and everything is okay. Jamaica, love, unity is strength. Gardeness by no mass. The smells are full of fruit. It smells like it smells like mangoes and papayas. It's got the rich sweetness. You like fried plantain, you like plantain porridge, you like plantain in your door. Oh indeed, Juglers. The last few days have been I'm, you know, I feel like I've just emerged from uh from some kind of I guess I'd better back up and tell you where I'm at. Uh, I'm now on the north side of Jamaica, the north side of the island, somewhere around Treasure Bay or Discovery Bay, you know. Anyway, the last... I don't... Hold on, let me pause here. Let me pause. I'm not sure entirely where to begin. So what I'm going to tell you is that within a 24-hour span, I had kayaked to... Bob Marley's chill pad on the point of Little Bay where the dilapidated boards of his little funky cabin were numbered as though they were ready to go to a museum. And we sat there looking out over this beautiful ocean point after diving in the pool where Bob went every day and kind of tucked into this cave and splashed around in the slightly brackish, highly healing mineral rock water. I climbed up the same rocks, walked the same path. This isn't, you know where he lived in Kings, Kingston. This isn't where he grew up in Nine Mile. This is where he kind of like snuck away, man. When things got heavy, him and his pals, they just came out to this little point and they built up this cabin. They had a little outdoor cookery. Anyway, I'll tell you more about that in the little bay. And then somehow within 24 hours later, I'm at a place that in 1963, a young Queen Elizabeth II of England and her husband, uh, the Duke uh, of Edinburgh, uh, Philip, they uh, stayed right here. In this little cabin. Now, I'm not telling you it's not all fancy or whatever, but, man, it's, it's all you need. I mean, uh, there's, there's, <laughs> uh, it abounds, right? This whole island of Jamaica is like this breathing, seething, living organism that's all aware of itself. The whole uh, island is in this constant slow movement of breathing, inhaling, and exhaling together. You put a seed anywhere on this island, and, oh, my goodness, it will bloom it will bloom. This island is filled with the bounty of so many plants that were brought here under such uh, nefarious auspices, right? You know, for making a profit, for making things happen, uh, for own benefit, for export, for so on. And somehow this island is distilled through a hundred years of mm, often saddening history, to say the least, into this island with proud determination in spite of all sorts of <laughs> political corruption that uh, is off the charts, a devalued dollar. I mean, it's decidedly not moved forward much, right? And now there, it's all this crazy stuff happening where these like, massive, all-inclusive resorts, but they stick out like these strange, glistening prisons amongst the real heart of Jamaica. And over the last, well, it's only been eight days so far, I've journeyed deep into the heart of Jamaica. Not this tourist Jamaica that everyone comes on the package tours and goes on the... Uh,
found ourselves on this crazy ride that started uh, at the Montego Bay Airport. Well, really started in North Vancouver aboard a, aboard a bus and making our way to, uh, on a red eye, land in Montego Bay and then headed right down through the countryside, uh, kind of overland uh, to Little Bay. Now, Little Bay, you're not going to find it on a lot of maps, right? Because it's a little tiny bay. But right, you cut around and it's like the southwest kind of little notch cut out of Jamaica and it's just hanging out down there. Uh, nearest town is maybe uh, called Savannah Lamar. Folks just call it Sav. And we ended up down there, uh, well, you know, I'm not sure where to, where exactly to start. Because the last few days have been a little hazy. See, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. And we've gone up on this epic trek up into the bush, right? Deep into the Jamaican bush. And I'll explain the details. But somehow coming down on. from our quest to Ganja right. Mountain, which was highly successful and an exhilarating uh, moment to see. Uh, these beautiful plants growing in amongst uh, this 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 coral soil high up in the highest points in 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 Jamaica, and on the side of a of a, a slope that's just uh, all these old burnt down trees, and the area is kind of coming back to life with these beautiful ganja plants. And somehow, after hanging out with the Rasta fire and our buddy Food and smoking some amazing ganja high up in the mountains and having an Itel lunch that fire prepared over a fire and uh, of this of this sweet smelling hardwood. And as we uh, oh, as I sat there meditating on the, uh, the beautiful simplicity of, of life when everything there is amongst you, like everything you, you need is right there, right? And uh, somehow on the rush back down uh, through all kinds of, of little microclimates, I got a, a wicked, wicked wasp sting. And these are not to be trifled with. Even the folks, they're local, man. Oh, you've got to, you know, the, the traditional remedy is running run three green leaves. Now, you grab three green leaves from three different plants. And they're not, it's not specific which plants, but it's kind of the balance of the three plants apparently draws the... Anyway, by the time I learned this, it was far too late. And I spent three days in this kind of semi... Like I was up and about and I was doing stuff, but I was hardly sleeping and I was in an incredible amount of pain. And my, my right hand swelled up like a baseball mitt and uh, was in this kind of permanent claw. And it started to affect all over my body as this poison went all throughout my body. And I started to have these crazy, like waking dream hallucinations. Uh, and, and that combined with the, uh, the endless rhythm of crickets, frogs, the new animals, seeing this island breeding like the, you look down like, oh, there's some bugs. You look down a little deeper and, oh, there's a whole bunch of other little bugs. You look down deeper and those bugs are attacking those bugs, right? Everything has something green on it. Like it's, it's a, anyway, it, it really uh, kind of affected me. Fortunately, I was uh, in, in good, comfortable environments with crazy storms coming in the south coast there of Jamaica. The waves crashing in so hard and splashing well up towards the cottage and to the point where it knocked the big metal uh, swim ladder off, 
somehow we survived. Somehow we survived. I sat in the, there was a great healing, uh, a cold mineral spring there. And I sat in there, rubbed aloe vera on my wounded hand as I sort of spaced out. And it brought back all these memories, not just of these different islands that I've lived on and the commonalities and the weird little economic vagaries and political odd, oddities that exist around islands, but all these little, like, uh, like little gossamer strings of plot lines drifting by and I'd feel like oh I have to grab that plot line I have to figure out what's going on I have to follow these people's story and it was nothing to do with me right or and sometimes it, it was so it made me keep paying attention because it might have been something that actually had something to do with my life and I'd be grabbing these things and have all these stories and I, I gotta back uh, and then the thing would be gone and I would actually see these things almost floating like little gossamer strings man like translucent strings through the sky Oh, man. The good news is my body is healthy. I've been eating incredible, incredible food here, the seafood. The, but the traditional uh, uh, vegetables, the yams, are out of this world. And these uh, kalilus, kind of like collard green kind of things. Aki, which is an, this gel, sort of gelatinous nut kind of thing. Aki and salt, uh, salt fish is like the national dish. Yeah, have it for breakfast. It doesn't sound like a sweet breakfast. But sure enough, fried, fried plantains, jerk chicken. Oh, my goodness. Uh, cooked in oiled canned barbecue grills. Oh, so so uh, let me back back up a little bit to kind of uh, catch up. So there I was with the uh, uh, wasp thing in the swollen hand while we were there in Little Bay. There in Little Bay, uh, we came across this. Uh, he's like a guy that Jimmy Buffett would write a song about, man. Uh, let's call him Leo. An old Leo, about 20 years ago, he was uh, uh, East Coast America kind of... Uh, contractor uh, type dude and uh, he was down with a later friend down in Jamaica renting a little fancy cottage because that's what you do like a mansion right he decided he was down there partying this is uh, 20 some odd years ago and I uh, liked it so much that uh, uh, an old Rasta took him out to show him some land and uh, see you know the whole concept of t- land titles and stuff is still a little vague in, in, in Jamaica but basically there's caretakers of area and you pay them a gratuity and they were sort of granted this area and then you start paying taxes on it and eventually you sort of get title so anyway go down and bring Mr. Brown into the mix now Mr. Brown you may be familiar with the song with, the, with this dude because uh, uh, the Bob Marley songs although uh, you know I will tell you that I've I'm, I'm, I'm using my one concession to technology on this trip and the batteries are just about out. So this might be, maybe I should uh, cut to the point a little bit here. Um, little Bay, I'm going to tell you all about that. So I'm going to make a mental note of that and tell you the story of Leo and Little Bay. Long story, the short, the short version is he's got a couple killer villas there, right? Like these kind of guests. You basically move in, you're hanging out with the family. They're making you meals. Uh, they're taking you out on little adventures. Uh, you know, they're helping out with all your stuff, right? And then uh, now, coming next, is the whole Little Bay uh, cabins. It's got these old traditional, uh, well, they're not, well, you know, they're traditional uh, Jamaican cabins, right? Bright colors, the wood, you know, there's beautiful hardwood everywhere, right? So you've got all these cabins fixing those up right now. You've got a beautiful little stretch of beach. You're going to have a, but it's like a way to kind of go to Jamaica without, uh, with living a, a ganja-friendly lifestyle, right, without going to these uh, resorts and having that kind of buzzkill where you can actually learn about Jamaica, right? Okay, so I'm going to tell you about a little bit. And then up the road from them is uh, dude, um, Mark, who has a place called Zimbali. Short story on that is uh, they uh, got some great little uh, cottages way up in the mountains, right? So you got the, the beach thing, and then you got the mountain thing. And you go up there, and this one's more about uh, health and wellness. You can get... Uh, and traditional culture. There's like a, a fruit farm there, and it's like this amazing, uh, you know, it's, this, it's a high mountain valley, right? Uh, and uh, 
and and they've got these uh, cabins kind of built in the side of the hill. And you're looking down on 2,000 fruit trees. You're looking, I mean, this is the heartland of growing in, in Jamaica, including just up the hill. There's some fine plots of ganja that you could go explore if you ask the right people. And wow, an incredible experience. <laughs> okay. And then I got to tell you about the important things, a few notes about packing to Jamaica and a few things about uh, important things about trips in general, like a few things like make sure you don't learn anything about the country before you go because you don't want to go with any preconceived notions. Uh, pack light and bring gifts for people. There's the short version. Maybe get into that some more. Okay, and then uh, I also want to tell you about the different kinds of ganja I've enjoyed here because there's been about six different kinds. And uh, with this big chunk of uh, finger hash that I've misplaced somewhere once I find that, that'll be another one to add to the mix. But, uh, you know, this isn't the, the beautifully manicured, uh, pedigreed, ganja that you fancy pants enthusiasts are, are accustomed to, right? This is, uh, and like I said, anything grows on this Jamaican sun. So now savvy growers are bringing in more strains and stuff, but there's still this traditional kind of just rangy, uh, semi-wild ganja. Um, you still get, see, uh, seeds in your weed, but you don't get the right, uh, the right setup and you can find the high test sensimilia and, uh, but man, I've enjoyed some beautiful sativas here. Uh, so note to tell you about that one, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and we'll see where it goes, man. But from Bob, the King of Jamaica, Bob Marley's Chillout Cabin, to where the Queen took a wee rest in 1963, I've got some Jamaican schemes to share with you. It's been a busy afternoon as I settle in. Went for a fantastic swim here in the gentle Caribbean Sea, where I'm watching the freighters way off on the horizon line, cruising by slow. It takes them like all afternoon to run across this endless horizon line that fades out to the deepest, deepest, deepest oh, depths of the sea. And it drifts in here all the way was lapping up against my toes the soft white sand you know sometimes you've been out in the on an adventure and been away from the trappings and you look at yourself one day in a mirror and you realize yeah man not just physically I've changed I see my face is different in the mirror but man 
something's happened to me mentally over the last few days, man. I've seen something expanded myself beyond what I maybe hitherto expected, right? For me, <laughs> it manifests itself in a rangy beard that's growing out sideways and tormented wisps shooting off in every direction, sun bleach and manic. <laughs> a puffy head of hair, but man, there was something uh, over the last few days, man, I've seen some amazing things. <laughs> and clearly it's, uh, it's changed me a wee notch for the better. You know, I can't help but feel in this deep sense of gratitude, right? And, uh, you know, I hustle hard and, you know, I'm always go, 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 right? But man, you know, like I get, uh, I get it paid back in spades, right? Well, it was just a few weeks ago I was co-piloting a float plane from Victoria to Vancouver. And by co-piloting, I mean hanging out there in the front seat talking to the captain as we whisked over the Gulf Islands. Just a couple months ago, I was in New Orleans, drifting around late night, stumbling around in uh, forgotten French quarters. Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. And this trip in Jamaica has also made me appreciate the, the healing that my body's gone through the last little while since, you know, all the surgeries and all that, man. It's feeling strong, feeling strong. Feeling in my element in all the water. So it was just after, it was the first day that really after the wasp bite, I could get my hand around something. So rather than thinking about anything, me and the lady, we hopped up even before breakfast and just pulled out a double-seater ocean-going ocean kayak, sit-on-top kind of floaty kayak, and we decided to traverse Little Bay. Fortunately, the Little Bay, as its name implies, is not particularly large, so it was not proving to be a difficult journey. But yet the seas were rough, and over the previous couple days they had been pretty hectic, right? And there's a channel going out you know, to direct you. You can see a little buoy out there, so you don't run into the reef over there. And the whole little bay, right, it's like, uh, it's rocky headlands, ranging from maybe four to eight feet of this rocky headlands as the waves crash up against that on the leeward side of the island. Interspersing in these little tiny coves will be little dotted chunks of sand. And then up along, uh, up along these, these cliffs is a variety of houses, other thing from little Jamaican cabins, right, like the traditional style with the clapboard, made of uh, good solid hardwood, maybe up on some little stilts, not too fancy, one and a half room kind of thing, interspersed with mm, mansions and, um, not mansions, but like fancy places of forgotten dreams, right, people come down here and catch the bug and go, wow, man, they're charmed by this remarkable, heaving, breathing existence of an island, Maybe they fall in love, maybe they sink their fortune, maybe they come up with some kind of Jamaican scheme of their own, but they build a house surrounded with fences, surrounded with stress and concerns, and filter it from the outside world. Some of these succeed, but more often than not, they sit sitting there confused. What's their purpose in life? They're not there to be a rental, because there's no one there to take care of them. Having a rental house, man, someone's got to be keeping an eye on it. Do they just shut the doors and hope that it's just sort of forgotten about, hope that they can come back one day and it's just there? Anyway, we traversed along the bay to the, uh, to the east, checking these sorts of things out as we sort of cruised along the coast, right? But you have to be careful because once you get into those rocky headlands, the waves can pick you up and throw you against those rocks in a heartbeat. 
and I'm not bound for those kind of uh, dramatic uh, rescue attempts at this point. So we went off to the far point, uh, which I believe was called Salmon Point, uh, though they don't have the salmon fish down there that, I, uh, that I'm aware of. So I think it was probably some, uh, some navigator, some crewman on, on some ship, on some expedition for some foreign power. Mapping and charting. Cartography for exploitation. Hurrah! You can put your name on anything. We pivoted the little kayak and we headed out across to the other side, the westernmost point of Little Bay. Because this is the place that, once upon a time, uh, Bob Marley uh, built his own little chill pad, right? Now, you've got to be careful coming to Jamaica because everyone's got some uh, half relation to Bob Marley. Everyone's got a Bob Marley story because Bob Marley is everywhere in Jamaica. More than any other figure, as you might imagine, Bob Marley. But he's everywhere with a sense of dignity and reverence and some commercial exploitation notwithstanding, he's the, the, he's the cultural icon. There's other heroes and there's other political figures, man, but it's all about Bob Marley here. The other reggae luminaries and music stars, they get mad love, but they're not Bob Marley, man, and Bob Marley is everywhere. And Bob Marley, uh, he had his house in Kingston, and that's a place where people go uh, check it out, and where he grew up in Trenchtown. And then there's the little town of Nine Mile, where he was born up in the hills. And there's tours that go up there, and you can, uh, there's Marley relatives hanging out, and people take you on little tours, and, and there's the gift shop, and there's uh, Bob's grave, and you can go in there and probably smoke a joint, there's some ganja plants. But from what I hear, man, it's like, it's like a, uh, it's a semi-conscious tourist trap, right? You know? And it might just be more of a buzzkill that I'm really comfortable with. So, but anyway, so we hear about Bob Marley's got this place, it's corner of Little Bay. And we found the proof there in a big book. Uh, a photographer who traveled with Bob Marley and the Whalers much of their times as a fly on the wall, document all their stuff. Uh, in his book, there was a picture of Little Bay, Bob Marley's cabin on Little Bay. We all went out here, Bob and all his buddies, and we built this place. And it was their little chill-out pad. And Bob would bring down his lady friends down here because Bob loved the ladies. As such, the Marley clan kind of eschew all knowledge or, uh, you know, uh, acceptance that this place exists because this is a Bob's uh, stabbing cabin, right? He would go up there with the boys, and they'd write music, and many of his uh, classic songs were written there. Anyway, so we head out towards this point, but along that little, uh, we kind of go past where his cabin uh, stood, and then do a little pivot around, and there's really nowhere to bring the boat in because tides uh, tides high, and there's kind of limited beach access. So we kind of tool back down the bay just a little bit to the fisherman's bar, the fisherman's beach, and we've been hanging out at. There's two little bars right there. Marie's and the Fisherman Bar, run by a woman named Hillary. And when I say bar, like I mean like some rough sticks with a little bit of galvanized metal roofing sort of to give it some structure, right? And then a table, like a bar type, type thing, MacGyver out of something, and then like a, a fridge, and then some bottles of overproof rum. And there's not much to them, right? But it's the place where the, the folks hang out. So all the fishermen are there hanging out. We pull our kayak uh, right up alongside their fishing boats. Much like a scene in Portugal, but I'll spare you di that digression for <laughs> until another time. We pull our kayak right up there and we uh, wander in the fisherman's bar. Uh, this isn't normal behavior for uh, non-Jamaicans out there, and, uh, but we're not the typical non-Jamaicans in this case. So we cruise in and uh, we get ourselves a couple of red stripes. Feel a little bit sunny at this point because they never did have breakfast. We've been out for a pretty good tool, but who needs hydration when there's a red, another cold red stripe to be had? 
So we get talking, and a uh, guy, Fabian, he has a house right there that kind of on the way to Bob's place. So uh, he says he'll walk us out there. Okay, great. We can leave the kayak there, and we'll stroll over. No big deal, right? So uh, we talk to the fisherman. Hey, man, who's got some lobster? Who's got what coming in? You know, seas have been rough, so the traps ain't been full. Most of the fishing is done like they make these almost like refrigerator-sized traps out of uh, bamboo framing, and then you put chicken wire on the outside of it, and then you have two, three different intakes into this thing that kind of funnel the fish and whatever, and whatever you catch in there is what you catch in there, and you haul that up, and that's your day's catch. Everyone's saying, ah, oh, no, man, we ain't got nothing coming in our traps. Say, well, all right, maybe some of you guys get lucky. We're looking for some lobster, whatever, right? So finish up our bevies, and we head off with uh, Fabian into uh, up the street a piece. And we cut through his, uh, his yard, and his little compound in itself, it was a little thing of beauty, right? He's got his little greenhouse, and he's got two other little shacks where his brothers are living. And he's got the little family cemetery plot, and the, the folks are buried in these concrete boxes that stay above water because it's an island, right? And at some point, islands flood, man. They get, you know, they get hurricanes, right? Much more sensible thing. So he introduced us to the graves of his, of his kinfolk and pointed them all out. And it was a little bit of a touching experience that he would share that with us. And, uh, and we headed in and behind his house, out his little back gate, and just into the bush a few paces, really. There's kind of this big coral rock kind of thing. And the rock is open up, almost like an eyelid opening up. And right in that, uh, that eye part of the, the rock, gaping open like a frog's mouth, is, a, is an opening into the rock where you see down this crystalline pool down below and it's a little scramble down this uh uh this coral rock so it's it's uh on one hand man is it scratching scraggly and it will tear your feet right up on the other hand it's all covered with moss and it's all slickery so you're trepidatiously picking your way down there holding onto a little rope and then you just sort of spring off and jump into this pool and you realize wow this pool is like eight ten feet deep i drive down 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 the bottom and dad hold my breath wow there's the bottom of this pool a little bit deceiving, and this water is not fresh water, nor is it salt water per se. It's just kind of brackish, but uplifting and invigorating water. And you think about Bob Marley there coming every day and hanging out in this little, taking his uh, bath in this pool, soaking his healing energies. And not just him, all sorts of characters over the years, right? And it's just thinking about the, how the earth opens up and vents its precious, precious water for the healing of uh, one's body. You can't help but to feel a little bit inspired being in that pool. So we climb out of the pool and make our way down through the bush uh, off out to the point. And along the way, he points out a few things, including Mr. Brown, where Mr. Brown lived. Now, uh, the character Mr. Brown appears in a couple Bob Marley songs, uh, significantly talking blues. Mr. Brown is a clown. And I shot the sheriff. Uh, Mr. Brown always hated me for what I don't know. Anyway, Mr. Brown was the land caretaker of this area. And he had like a boarding house there, right? And Bob Marley was staying in this boarding house once upon a time. And, uh, and Bob Marley was up there making up his songs. And he said something that uh, Mr. Brown found derogatory against Jebus, right? And Mr. Brown, I'm a Christian. You can't be singing that kind of devil music in my house. you got to get out of it. And Mr. Brown picked out Bob Marley's stuff and threw him and threw him out of the house. Get out of my house. So Bob Marley just went down the, uh, down the spit a little wee piece and uh, claimed himself a piece of land there and said, I think I'm just going to settle in here. 
Now, land ownership is kind of a hazy little thing in itself in, in Jamaica. And uh, you kind of ask permission and someone gives you permission or you just sort of hang out or whatever. But anyway, Bob Marley just started camping out there and he got his buddies and they built up this, uh, this cabin. And now the time frame of all this is a little bit hazy, but I'm just going to go with it, right? So we get to this, this where the cabin is, and now it's just the wreckage of the cabin. And here's the story about the, well, let me tell you what I mean wreckage. So there's, you can tell there's a whole little uh, compound was there, a few little structures. The main uh, cabin, and I'd seen the picture of this in the book by the photographer, whose name escapes me at the, at the, at the moment, but I mean, it's a real traditional thatched uh, double-story uh, cabin. And sure enough, there's the remnants of it with kind of one and a half walls standing up. The doors uh, have fallen in on themselves. The glass is, is out. The decks are there and you can kind of see that the, the remnants of the two-story structure uh, they're built on this co- coral outcropping. And all the, 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 the deck planks are sort of there, but you've got to stand on them very gently. And then over to one side is a little outdoor kind of kitchen hangout area that's just common common behavior here in Jamaica. There's always a little outdoor cooking hangout area. And then another little area, that's the uh, water well. You've got to always have a water tank. So there's a well and a water tank. And, uh, you know, anyone who lives on an island knows that uh, fresh water is a valuable thing. So we wander around Bob's cabin, and as Fabian's telling the story about, like, uh, um, this place over the years kind of became Bob's little place of refuge, which started out as kind of his little... Uh, emergency escape pod from Mr. Brown uh, turned into kind of his, his little escape place and whenever he needed some time away from the as his fame and fortune increased and you know the first time they go out to America a couple hundred people come out the next time it's they're playing theaters the next time they're playing arenas and the next time they're playing the biggest stadiums there are but Bob wanted to keep himself grounded so always came back to this place and this would be a place that him and his bandmates the whalers could come out and write new songs, pick on the guitar, hang it in the hammock. And Fabian told me about being a little kid and, and being kind of around this stuff and the different musicians that he, uh, that he met. And, you know, and for him, clearly, it was kind of a, uh, a little awe-inspiring to be sort of uh, that close connection to the history. Although, as a kid, you don't really realize quite what you're dealing with. And sure enough, you know, the history swipes it all away. So... Uh, went on to tell me that, because this was Bob's little hangout cabin, as Bob's fame increased, the CIA was on his case. CIA was on him. And, you know, I don't want to put on any tinfoil hats here, but, you know, you know all about the CIA trying to keep the dissident voices down. And anyway, the CIA were on Bob, on Bob Marley's case for some reason or another, right? And so he came down here to get off their trail and sort of, you know, regroup and figure out his next plan. And apparently, uh, in order to escape their evil eyes, because he was on his way to America and they were going to stop him coming into the U.S. so he couldn't tour or something, uh, he uh, connected with a freighter, some sort of freighter ship, cargo ship that was going through the channel. And uh, in the middle of the night, he got, uh, went out by a little small skiff and boarded that freighter and went to Cuba. And then from Cuba, can, ooh, it's starting to storm. And then from Cuba, he uh, headed off to his next crazy adventure. Now, I know there's missing pieces to these stories, but you can't help but feeling uh, the, uh, the pressure and the understanding that Bob had in his, in his role and, and what it, it's going on, what's going on in his life. He realized that uh, he'd become a powerful figure all around the world and 
Mm, he needed to keep himself grounded in order to do this, to continue to give himself to the people, but he also needed to get himself out there with any means necessary. And I couldn't help, you know, sitting there on a chunk of coral where, you know, Bob could have, well, I mean, at one point, Bob sat on that piece because he can't not sit on this rock right in front of the cabin, right? I can't help but think, well, yeah, you know, like, it's taken from us so many years ago, right? 20-some-odd years ago now. And still his voice is so powerful, right? And no one has really come in that time with a voice as powerful, with his message so clear. That was so universal, right? Some folks have dabbled around the edges. They've stirred up revolutions in one way or another. But it's always been for one culture or one genre or one cause or one subset. For Bob Marley, man, it was like uh, universal truths produced daily. As I sat there humming some Bob Marley songs, three little birds as the birds are chirping around me. You know, I almost like started weeping up a little bit, right? About power of his voice and the things that he could have contributed to this dialogue in these sad times. He's more than a musician, man, you know? I couldn't help but feeling uh, very appreciative that I could be part of this. So then Fabian goes on to tell us that, uh, oh, pardon me for a second. Get together and we'll feel all right. So, after Bob died, and as you know, he uh, had, toe, as you likely know, cancer of the toe, didn't want his toe to be amputated because he wanted to go back to jaw the way he sent him. Refused to have any body part taken off voluntarily, which is kind of odd since pretty much everyone in Jamaica not only has a nickname, but has some significant scar, busted finger, missing finger, missing toe, uh chopped off something here, sliced ear, busted nose. These are tough folks out here, right? Anyway, the cancer spread through his body and fucking cancer, right? <sighs> so after Bob died, one of his lady friends, I, I want to say her name was Esther Anderson. But again, you know, I'm out there in the, in the woods without, uh, <laughs> without anything with me, except for uh, a little floaty disposable camera, which uh, was acquired for that specific purpose. And Esther, uh, we'll just call her Esther, we're just going to go with that. Uh, she was living in London and knew about this cabin and was uh, determined to bring this cabin back, disassemble it, bring it over to England and put it in a Bob Marley museum. 
and make it into a Bob Marley museum and preserve this cabin. And she came out with some uh, preservation and some curate, you know, museum folks, right? Curation, curationists, curators, and uh, preservationists. And they numbered all the boards and the direction that they're mounted with chalk so it could be uh, taken off and all this. And so all the boards that are still there and scattered around the grounds and up on still in the structure all have uh, numbers, directions, uh, arrows, and so on, a little coded kind of thing on them, right? very tempted to pick up one of the boards and bring it home to show you but you know I got to be respectful right plus uh what can I tell you about I'm, I'm traveling light so uh so she comes out here and she's got this plan and then all of a sudden everyone starts squabbling over the land and whether or not Bob was allowed to build there and no he wasn't he didn't have title to the land and who owns this land is it Mr. Brown's land is it someone else's land no well the land is different than the cabin well Bob didn't own the land so he shouldn't build a cabin there so the cabin doesn't and now it's been tied up in Jamaican courts for like 12 years. The courts move slowly, no resolution. In the meantime, the judge says nothing can be done with this land. You can't touch the cabin. You can't do anything about it until the, it's all, the land ownership is all sorted out. So then you know who has the land ownership. Jeez. All right. So it's going through court. And sure enough, we're here in the hurricane belt, right? And so Hurricane Gilbert comes and bam! Wipes out most of it. So that's why instead of a noble thatched cottage that was the environs that created so much importance, important messages to the world, because, man, environment is so important. You ask any, of, uh, any artist, an environment is a key to inspiration, right? And on this little spit of land, you can just imagine Bob out there in his cabin picking and grinning away in his hammock. But now you just have to imagine the remnants and... Still nothing can be done, right? So every time there's a storm, every time there's a big wind, and there was plenty while I was there, it's right there exposed on the very tip on the western edge of Little Bay. Battered, bruised, but resilient and positive. Not everyone knows about this little secret. And it's kind of best that way, I suppose. It's not easy to get to. It's far flung. And once you're there, it's still not walk in the park. Could never support people coming in by the busload. It's just for the connoisseurs, right? The people who really want to sit there and dwell and think about it. Sit in the shadow where some remarkable things happen. I'll play your favorite song, darling. We can rock it all night long, darling. Cause I've got to love, darling. So we wandered out back to the Fisherman's Bar to buy our noble guy to beverage. Of course, like all Jamaican men, he drinks J&B overproof rum. Double his kerosene you can put right in your camp stove. Ugh. And people sip it along with like flat soda. 
like flat Pepsi. Don't see a bottle of Coca-Cola on this island, but you sure see a lot of Pepsi. <laughs> anyway, I settled for my red stripe. And just as we're uh, cracking those beers, we see, all, see the fishing boat come tooling in through the channel. They pull up in dramatic fashion under the beach. Well, hardly dramatic. And with a big uh, bucket full of uh, miscellaneous. Bring it over to the uh, little uh, scale stand and dump it out all over the platform. What have we got? We have three, three lobsters, a big sea crab, a few parrotfish, a couple of little mis miscellaneous fish. One call, they call it buck a buck, which is like a little hard-shelled, almost like a little squared-off fish with a, with a ridgeback on it. A parrotfish, which I remember so well from Guam, one shiny blue. Some other ones they're calling groups or something like that, but they weren't groupers. I don't know what they were. Whole little smatter, whole little variety of seafood. Said 400 a pound for any of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's probably like, you know, less than five bucks a pound. Like, I give a fuck, right? These guys are just tooled in fresh seafood. It's still flopping and squirming there on the thing, right? They're on the beach after just going out to visit Bob Marley's cabin. Sipping beer with locals, being the only tourists around. Travelers, pardon me, kind of tourist am I. Spent everything, uh, all the, the ration of cash I brought. Took a whole load of fish, loaded up in a plastic, uh, plastic sack. <laughs> We'd tra traveled that light. Uh, strapped to the kayak. <laughs> Pushed her back in the water, waved goodbye to the fishermen and returned back. Like conquering heroes to put those crabs, the lobsters, and the fish in various assortments and concoctions aboard the grate with the hardwood charcoal firing underneath and smelt it cooking. Wafts of smell, the seafood, and the little bay before we stuffed our faces with red stripes and joints for dessert gazing off from where we sat and thinking about Bob sitting on his point on the island with the three little birds of Little Bay. You've been shooting along with Uncle Wee Wild Hikes. There you go.